my creative side helped me a lot as an engineer. And especially because as an engineer, you work a lot on teams. So you're on a team. And the reason why teams are so great is because everyone comes with different experiences and a different way to look at the problem. So if you're creative and can think really, really outside of the box, um, you can be an awesome engineer because most of the problems that need to be solved are things that, um, you know, number one, some people might not have ever thought was a challenge. And then number two, um, if everybody has the same experience that's looking at a problem, they won't be able to approach it from that different angle. So it's um, it's definitely been something that has helped me be successful in my career. That was Paige Castellan talking about why science needs creativity to thrive. Paige is a market analyst for the future of mobility at a material science company in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. One of her first jobs was representing her company as an electrical engineer on the ground crew for Solar Impulse, where she traveled with the world's first solar-powered airplane, Solar Impulse 2, as it completed its historic flight around the globe. On the ground crew, Paige was the only American, only female engineer, and the youngest member. Her experience with Solar Impulse marked the beginning of her role as a spokesperson for young women in STEM. Paige continues to be a voice for the company in inspiring the next generation to create their own path in STEM fields. So as a Pittsburgh native, she graduated from Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University uh, with a Bachelor of Science degree in Electrical Engineering. And Paige landed a spot on the Forbes 30 Under 30 Angel List in 2017 for her work with Solar Impulse as a grant crew member. Now, in her role as a market analyst, she does explore how new mobility trends like autonomous vehicles and ride-sharing will create new material demands. I'm super excited for you guys to hear um, all the things that we go through in detail. And, you know, Paige has done some incredible things at such a young age, and hopefully you guys will be able to relate to that too. Great. So thank you so much for joining me today, Paige. I'm really excited to um, have this discussion with you. Just to set the context around the rest of our discussion, why don't you give us a bit of um, an idea of the work that you do now? Yeah, so um, thanks for having me. Exciting to, or very excited to talk. Um, so I right now work for a material science company and I am doing some material work for autonomous vehicles. And it's a little bit different than what people think usually when they think of these self-driving cars, they think about the hardware, the software, um, but they don't necessarily think about the materials. So my job's all about to try to figure out what these future experiences while you're riding um, need in order to, um, you know, be what you want for the future. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And it's obviously a really cool space that you've gotten into. Um, but looking at, you know, the process you took in terms of getting there, why don't we just start off right from the beginning um, in terms of like where you grew up and what your childhood was like? I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I, um, my mom was a computer science major in college and my dad was an electrician. So when it was getting time for me to plan for university, I didn't really think I was following in the path of my parents' footsteps, but it seems like I kind of did. I got my degree in electrical engineering from Virginia Tech. And growing up, I always really liked art, which is a little different from what people normally think of when they think stereotypical engineer. Yeah. But 
I really loved the whole concept of taking something super boring, like a canvas and turning it into something really cool, really creative. And it's interesting because that's, you know, that's a way of, that's a form of problem solving. How do you get to that solution? How do you solve what you're trying to accomplish, but in the most unique way possible? And I really learned that's a lot what engineering is. So when I was in high school, I attended a lot of different engineering camps, summer camps at different universities to understand if I really liked the field. And um, it seemed like it was the fit for me. And that's why I decided to major in engineering. Yeah, definitely. Um, And sometimes it seems as well like, you know, you can't be both creative and really intelligent in the maths and engineering and um, technology side of things. Um, How did you find that uh, working for you? And did you notice that you sort of had a mix of both from a young age? I completely agree with you where usually people think that you have to be one or the other. But I really find that um, my creative side helped me a lot as an engineer. And especially because as an engineer, you work a lot on teams. So you're on a team. And the reason why teams are so great is because everyone comes with different experiences and a different way to look at the problem. So if Mm. you're creative and can think really, really outside of the box, um, you can be an awesome engineer because most of the problems that need to be solved are things that, um, you know, number one, some people might not have ever thought was a challenge. And then number two, um, if everybody has the same experience that's looking at a problem, they won't be able to approach it from that different angle. So it's um, it's definitely been something that has helped me be successful in my career. Yeah, totally. And I know at the start, um, you kind of mentioned that what you really enjoy is taking something that seems really blank and um, really boring and adding that element of creativity to it to, you know, make that come alive. Um, in a way. So while you were young or even through your work now, do you have any examples of um, how you've done that? So I remember um, one time specifically where I had a school project where it was actually a science project for my physics class and I had to create an inductor and I had to build this circuit really that lit up a light bulb. And So I didn't just want to stop at building a circuit. (laughs) I decided to create a full popsicle stick model of my science classroom and then have the circuit light a light bulb that would go on to powering the light that would be in my classroom. (laughs) And that sounds (laughs) completely silly and over the top. And why on earth did anyone spend any time doing that? But that is really where... I kind of realized I have this knack for being a little bit more creative or finding a cooler way to showcase something or communicate the message. So it was um, it was something that I realized I had this passion to go above and beyond and find a new way to solve a problem. Yeah, totally. That sounds super interesting. I definitely haven't um, had anyone in my high school classes sort of do that. So you can definitely <laughs> see um, that element of creativity within the science um, fields at and engineering as well and see it's how useful it is within that. So after high school, um, you know, you definitely had that creativity within you then. 
Um, moving on and into university, you said you went to Virginia Tech to do electrical engineering. Um, what was your experience like through college? I really had a great college experience. And I know one of the big things that I was a little bit nervous about when I was going into my first year at university, um, the thing I was nervous about was that, you know, I have all of these different dimension of, dimensions of my personality. And I wasn't really sure how I was going to be able to, um, you know, really live those all to the fullest. In high school, it was a lot easier to mm. manage if you had, um, you know, extracurriculars. But in college, everyone said, okay, engineering is going to be so hard. So I remember especially being scared my first year when I was having my classmates tell me, oh, you can't be in a sorority or you can't be on the scuba diving club or you can't be the president of this organization because, you know, that's who I was. And I remember that mm. I really challenged myself and pushed myself not to let, um, you know, not let any of those dimensions of my personality go. And that in the end, I think really helped me um, because I, um, you know, my teachers, my classmates actually really appreciated that. They appreciated that I was willing to be a little bit different and think outside the box. Again, it goes back to what we were talking about with the creativity, the experiences that I had in college yeah. from, you know, maybe non-stereotypical engineering things really helped me then in the classroom when I was trying to look at things from a different angle. Yeah. And did you sort of get over that mental barrier yourself or did you have sort of someone there, um, you know, that said something to you that pushed you over that line? Because it seems like for a lot of young people, we do face that where we're like, oh, we just, you know, we're not able to do this because doing an engineering degree, for example, is extremely difficult and time consuming. So that's what you have to focus on. I think um, back, like I was saying in my first year in college, I um, that was kind of a shock for me because I felt like that was the first time I was really having a lot of people tell me, oh, you can't do this or, oh, this isn't going to work. But I really found support yeah. through my electrical and computer engineering department. I was really, really close with my advisors and a lot of the teachers. So I think by having mm -hmm. them, um, people actually in Blacksburg, Virginia with me, uh, being there for if I was struggling with something or if I did have, um, if I did receive a bad grade on the test, I would just go directly to my teacher and we would put a game plan together of how I could get a tutor, what I can do, make up some extra credit work. And I think, again, having those people saying, you got this, you can do this, we're here for you, rather than, no, you can't do this, is extremely yeah. helpful. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, th I think what you touch on about having that support network is definitely so important. But how does one really go around I guess, identifying people that they know that would be part of their support network and actually going and finding people who um, are the right ones to have both in supporting their career and supporting their, their mm -hmm. life in general. I think it's definitely difficult and there's not really one clear answer um, for finding that support. I, I yeah, think definitely. a lot relates back to understanding yourself really well and understanding what you want. Um, and then finding people who also agree and also believe in you. So for me, for example, as I was saying, some of those different things, I really wanted to be in a sorority and I really wanted to be president of this other club at school. And having people, when I heard somebody say, 
oh, yep, Paige, we totally support you. You can do this. That's kind of where I realized, okay, someone believes in me. That can be someone in my support network. And the people that said, nope, this is not possible. I had to eventually, you know, eventually spend more time with the people that believed in me rather than the ones that didn't. Yeah, definitely. And did you find that? So obviously, um, you know, through college that, that support network was, seems like it was definitely there. Um, and helped you get over those hurdles and those mental barriers. But what about once you entered into the workforce? Because, um, you know, I think it's it's pretty clear from a lot of research that's come through that um, young women, particularly in fields of STEM, you know, do find it quite difficult to not even just get in, but then progress through it. And you've seemed to have been able to do that from such a young age, which is incredible uh, and a huge testament to you. But how important was your support my support network within the workforce as well? It is definitely extremely important. And I, um, I've had a lot of very positive experiences, especially throughout college. And then I've also had some experiences, like I had mentioned, where if someone's not being supportive and you realize that, you kind of have to, you know, just not surround yourself with those people. And I've definitely faced the same as I've moved on to other stages of my life. But I think it all goes back to really understanding and believing that um, you've earned certain things and you've deserved certain things and not to let other people tell you otherwise, because it's um, a good quote is that it's a lot easier to criticize than create. And I think that I find that a lot in the yeah. workforce um, where and in, in this new stage of my life where a lot of people's natural tendency is to find a flaw rather than um, find a reason to be encouraging. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think your foundation as being, you know, quite a creative person has probably given you that perspective and that different outlook on things. Um, and in terms of your, your, I know you're definitely a big advocate for diversity in general, but in the workplace as well. Um, how do you see that trend moving, particularly in the engineering field? I think that diversity is extremely important and it really goes back to how, um, we work so much on teams these days and to have somebody come and look at a problem from a different perspective based on the experiences they've had in life is extremely valuable because if everybody has, you know, only the same experiences, they might never think about some of the challenges that, um, you know, a whole different group of people have. So I think really diversity as in gender, as in race, as in region, um, it's definitely good to include yeah. people from other places around the world when you're trying to solve a problem. Because um, one of the things I, I look into a lot at work is understanding what the unmet needs are for something. So what are the challenges and then find a solution to solve mm. them. And there's so many unmet needs that I might not know about just because of the experiences that I've had. Yeah, definitely. And I know that particularly with um, Solar Impulse, you were the only American on the team. And so there was it was a team for, with um, staff members from around the world. And what was it like working with people from such a diverse range of backgrounds in terms of communication and then actually um, 
you know, making your ideas work together? It was really interesting. I have, I traveled a little bit growing up, um, but nothing really prepares you for being thrown into an environment where you're the only American um, of a group of people from the majority or the majority of the people were from uh, the French speaking part of Switzerland. And so even having taken French for, um, I believe, like seven years growing up, um, I learned quickly that there's a big difference between, you know, I brush my teeth and um, how do you inflate the tire of a solar powered airplane? So it is um, (laughs) it was pretty interesting from a uh, from a communication perspective. One of the things that I learned a lot was that when you are. Um, when you were joining a team and English would be, or not English, but the language that's being communicated is your second language, you might have a solution in your head or you might have Mm. something to add, but your brain can't process everything else going on and then process how to explain your solution in another language quick enough. So I really had to learn a lot about how to add value to a project where I wasn't always able to communicate or get the full story before I began to communicate. And I think that's, um, that's interesting. And I think Mm. as I work with other on other global projects, and especially if the majority are Americans and English speaking, I think I'll definitely try to take the time and be a lot more um, aware that, you know, these people might have these great solutions, but might not be able to process and communicate the solution quick enough. Um, and then I think mm. from a, um, a cultural standpoint, it was interesting because some of the things that, you know, I thought were just the basic, everybody does this type thing or everyone says this type thing. My friends from Switzerland would think that I was being goofy or crazy or like normal people don't do that. And just being so interested <laughs> how something yeah. that is completely normal to me can be completely f- foreign to them and vice versa. So it's, um, it's a great experience to have an opportunity to work on a global team. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. Uh, and how important was actually, I'm not sure if you were already someone who had a natural tendency to listen before um, sort of giving your input, but how important was listening and really trying to understand all these other different perspectives um, who've come from such different cultural backgrounds than you. It was very important to listen. And I think that, of course, everyone always says you have to be open-minded. And I think that a lot of people, especially in our generation, are very open-minded and very excited to learn about other cultures. So um, I think that yeah. the biggest thing for me, though, was this was a very high-stakes project. And there wasn't as much room for the failure <laughs> as, mm. um, you know, I had just come out of college. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was getting a bad grade on a test. It was I could potentially um, do something to mess up this round the world project. And those stakes were pretty high. So yeah. I am definitely really thankful that the other electrical engineers on the project took the time to teach me. And I was completely willing to listen because I knew that. Um, I knew the importance of what I was doing. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we can probably link college back into this as well, but I'm sure that, um, you know, working on a global team straight out of um, 
college and such a big project, um, you'd have had a lot of discovery around, you know, what your abilities and capabilities are. Um, how did you go around, I guess, um, identifying what they are and working to your strengths, but then also, um, yeah, getting the support you needed where you weren't really as strong as you could be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I think going back a little bit to what I was talking about um, earlier, I think that, you know, listening was a big part of what I had to do, but I didn't, I definitely didn't want to hold back from fully participating. I didn't just want to observe the project. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be fully involved. And so I feel like in college, my support system and everybody that, um, you know, I surrounded myself with when I was going through college, they were definitely encouraging. And so I needed to, you know, remember how I had to really have that confidence to try, even though the stakes were very high, as I mentioned, because, um, Mm. you know, I didn't want to, again, just observe the project. And I had to really, I had to really believe and have the confidence in myself that the skills and um, knowledge I got from Virginia Tech would provide me with enough of the experiences I needed to make educational decisions throughout the project of Solar Impulse. And I remember you telling me before that um, when you were in college, there were only about, you know, 10 to 15 women out of about 160 um, students. Um, Did you ever feel like you had, um, you know, a bit of a chip on your shoulder, something to prove, um, or did you just sort of go into it with, you know, just a quite a, a general attitude that, you know, I'm here just like the rest of everyone else. Mm-hmm. I think it is, it's always challenging. I think that if, um, you know, really in any scenario, there are a lot of things that a person can look at and say, like, oh, wow, I'm only one of X amount of girls or, wow, I you mm. don't speak this language naturally, um, anything like that. And I think that one of the things in college, I tried extremely hard to not think about it. I know a lot of people would go into a room and say, yeah. like, oh, wow, I was one of three girls in that room. And I really got it out of my head never to think that way, because I think focusing on that a little bit too much can be a negative, because then you start to, you know, you start to question yourself, you start to think, well, you know, why aren't there more girls? And do I belong here? And should I be here? And what should I do? And this Mm -hmm. and that. But I really tried to look at um, being a woman in engineering as a strength, because you definitely stand out, you have that automatic presence and having a presence in any scenario, definitely is great when these opportunities come up for projects like solar impulse or for things like as simple as being the president of the engineering club at school. Yeah, for sure. And in terms of like looking at, you know, what your, your limits are, you know, once again, what you're capable of, what your ability is, um, how did you go around looking to expand them and, and how, what ex- experiences did you find actually helped you in pushing what you're capable of? Well, in college, of course, I, um, I didn't do as many, um, well, what I'm trying to say is that my mind would 
directly go to Solar Impulse and experiences that I've had after college. Yeah. But thinking back to college a little bit, I um, I feel like one of my weaknesses is that I love to say yes to everything. And I really have to start figuring <laughs> out, you know, how to um, how to make sure that everything that I'm saying yes to really aligns with what my passions are. But in college, that, that weakness might have helped me out a little bit because I I would really volunteer for a lot of different things. If I got an email saying, hey, we need somebody for this design team, do you want to do it? I would say yes. And we need somebody to volunteer for this. Yeah. Yes. So one of the projects I think, mm-hmm. thinking back, is I was on um, a high-altitude balloon design team. And this high-altitude balloon, it was this very, very large balloon. Um, and we would send it up to over a hundred thousand feet in the air. And I worked on the antenna for the system, yeah. with one of my friends, and then we would send this balloon up and then we would use the antenna through a GPS tracking system to track it and then catch it when it landed. So it sounds like the most bizarre project and I really don't need to go into the details, but it's one of those things when you're a 19 year old student and you're doing this project where it's this huge balloon that you're sending up to this like a hundred thousand feet in the air. And you're just thinking, wow, I never thought I'd be doing anything like this in my life. It is, it's kind of like (laughs) I'm saying, this is a little bizarre, but it's kind of eye opening because you're thinking, wow, so I didn't think I could do that. What else, you know, might I be doing in my life that I just never thought that I would have been capable of. And Going back to what I was saying about solar impulse, I think, number one, working on the world's first solar-powered airplane to circumnavigate the globe is something I never thought I would be doing. But even things that came with the project, like, um, again, speaking a foreign language every day and traveling to countries like Egypt to see the pyramids, um, those were things that I would have loved to do, but I really never knew I had the ability to just go and do it until I did Solar Impulse. Mm. And so what's your thought processes like when you do get an opportunity that comes your way um, that you'd really like to get involved in and really like to do, but you're not sure or you don't think you actually have the skill set and the experience to actually go out and do that at this stage? I think that that one thing – is that I I would never let any fear that I have that I wasn't good enough or smart enough or um, able to or have enough free time to do something that I really felt like was an opportunity that was going to make me a better person or help me build myself professionally or personally. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where there's always a million reasons to say no, but I think you just have to weigh what you can get from it versus all of those other reasons. So I know for a direct example with Mm. me with Solar Impulse, it was a project where I wasn't going to know how long I was going to be away from home, where I was going to be, what countries I was going to be in, um, what my job directly was going to be, all of these unknowns. But I knew that this was an opportunity of a lifetime. And the questions I was getting before going and during the application process from friends or yeah friends was like oh are you sure you want to be away from home that long or won't you miss your family or um are you nervous like 
you've never done something like this. You're just right out of school. And I really had never even let those questions cross my mind because I knew that this opportunity would be so worth any of the negatives I could think of. Totally. Yeah. And what is that like in terms of blocking out that sort of noise? I mean, there is to an extent, obviously, you know, constructive um, criticism and support, but then there's also, you know, a lot of noise that you probably shouldn't be listening to. And how do you sort of work around filtering that out? I think it all relates back to being very aware of what you want and also, um, you know, confident about what you're capable with. Because as I said, there are always people that will tend to go towards um, a way to criticize rather than the create. And I think that you have to really have a strong idea of what you want and not let anything stand in your way. And I think that that's definitely so much easier said than done. But again, it goes back to if you have those people that are in your support system that you know respect you, you respect them, and you know that they're out there looking out for the best for what is or for what is the best for you. And you hear the advice that you should totally go for something. I think that um, that's very empowering. And that's kind of the experience that I had when I applied for Solar Impulse. There were some people that had a lot of questions and then some people that just said, you know what, Paige, this is opportunity of a lifetime. You have to do it. I support you. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's a really important skill in being able to identify, um, you know, what, who who's talking to you and what they're saying and figuring out, you know, where that resonates with you personally. I think really what, what you touched on was, you know, being put in what seems like an impossible environment um, really does help bring out the best in you. And um, for me, whenever I come across, you know, an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to improve and grow, I find it really hard to say no, um, even if I feel like, you know, it's a few steps ahead of an opportunity where, that I should be getting at this Mm -hmm. stage. Um, But I always seem to be able to in some way rise up to that challenge. And yeah, I definitely do think that, you know, if you do come across things that um, are a great opportunity, but seems like, you know, you feel like you might not be able to do it, just put yourself in that environment and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And I think Um, one thing that you just touched upon, which is really good is um, kind of, the concept of when an opportunity comes up. And I think that, um, you know, that could be a question for people too, is, you know, if you're not presented with what looks and feels like an opportunity, um, it's kind of really, how do you get these opportunities? And I think that one of the things to get an opportunity um, is really to kind of create your own by finding the value in every scenario. So, Um, one of the, another good quote that I like is 80% of success is showing up. So by doing something maybe a little outside of your comfort zone, you never know what you might be asked to do by somebody at that event. And so that can totally turn into an opportunity. Um, as long as you find the value in all of these situations and don't just say, oh, that's not, that's not, not important, especially in college classes. Um, a lot of people think, yeah. oh, that's not in relation to my major. Um, it's not important. But just finding the value really can create opportunities for you. 
Yeah, totally. I 100% agree. I'm really glad you touched on that as well because I think, you know, a big thing is people want opportunities in some instances and don't actually know how to go around finding and, and then utilizing them. Just one last thing that I did want to touch on in this talk with you was you've been working on some really interesting and innovative projects, you know, with Solar Impulse and um, autonomous vehicles and all of that. Um, there's a lot of talk about technology, you know, taking our jobs because of AI and machine learning and all of that. Um, but then there's also the other side of things where people talk about the potential of technology and what it can bring to the world. Um, What's your experience around that? What have you been working on? And um, yeah, what are your thoughts on both the benefits and the negatives of what technology can bring? Mm -hmm. Well, being in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania is really cool for being in the autonomous vehicle space because right now we have Uber doing autonomous vehicle testing and you can actually get, you can call an Uber and get directly assigned to an autonomous vehicle. And there's always two engineers sitting in the front seat documenting how the program's running and being there to take over if there's any challenges. And it was interesting because I was having a conversation with them during a ride one day, and they they said that the number one question they get a lot is, how do you feel about taking away people's jobs? And of mm. course, that's a very um, that's a very pointed question. But I think that Something that I've learned through my research about autonomous vehicles is all of the different business models that could be emerging from the technology. And when I'm talking about business models, I'm talking about things like an autonomous vehicle might not just be from to get somebody from A to B. Um, it might be something where an area that is kind of a food desert without the proper um, proper grocery stores for a certain community, um, an autonomous vehicle mm. that is a grocery store on wheels pretty much could be the solution where somebody, instead of driving the vehicle, somebody might be trained to work inside of this um, autonomous vehicle grocery store on wheels and then help serve that community. And so, um, yeah. There are, I think, so many different business models that can emerge with that, especially for maybe in the healthcare, um, in the healthcare world where, um, there are going to be a lot more people aging in place. And so they might need certain types of assistance when getting to and from the doctors or to and from any entertainment event they want to do. So there could be people that are trained in, um, you know, taking care and transporting elderly people to do what they need to do every day. I think that, um, I think technology is always going to be there. It's going to change. And there's definitely a lot of challenges to work out with autonomous vehicles in particular, like cybersecurity. But I think always yeah. thinking about, you know, that might be where my creative mind goes, always trying to think about the positive and what could emerge from something versus how it's going to remove totally. things that we see today. Um, is really where I like to think a lot. Totally. And I 100% agree with you. Um, but as well for younger generations growing up that are sort of immersed in this, um, you know, innovating and technological world, how important is it to make sure that we, you know, still value and, you know, know what makes us human and our human aspects? And how do you think we can go around actually ensuring we, we continue to do that? 
Hmm, that's a good question. So um, I'm not sure if this fully fits, but the story that came to my mind was I was recently up in Boston for a, confer- or for a conference and I wear an Apple Watch and I have um, Uber on my iPhone. And so I was in one of the Uber pools where you share a vehicle with multiple people that are going to similar places as you. So what they do is they'll pick mm. somebody up Um, like they might pick me up and then pick somebody up down the road, drop me off somewhere and then drop that person off somewhere. And interesting thing was that I was sitting in the backseat of this Uber with two people I didn't know. And my watch started vibrating and it said, Hey, if you get out in 500 feet, you can save everybody else in the car five minutes of driving. Um, if you will agree to walk the 700 feet until your destination versus go down some one-way streets that are uh, filled with traffic. And so I thought, like, yeah. hey, that's an, that's fine with me. I mean, I could walk like two blocks down the street. So I hit OK, and the driver dropped me off, and um, I was on my way, and everybody else saved five minutes of their day. So I think that, you know, we're surrounded by technology, but I still had this whole atmosphere or this whole um, – concept of how we're moving towards the sharing economy and it's interesting to be mm. you know in a car with different people you have different experiences when you meet them and you can if if everybody's chatty you can sometimes have some fun conversations but you know at the end of the day I wasn't so focused on you know like I have to be here I paid for this ride anything I thought oh you know what like these people are nice and fun to be around but I would rather have them save five minutes of their day and I can walk. I thought that um, that was an interesting story of how we're really like the sharing economy is pretty much here. Yeah, totally. Um, And that is actually really interesting. And it brought up in my mind something I went to recently, which was a panel discussion around whether AI will be good for humanity. Um, And I'm not sure about, you know, how much you know about AI, but um, in general, you know, everyone was saying that AI will be good for humanity because there's a lot of potential that comes with it. But what about relationships that we have with artificial intelligence uh, and whether it'll make us value our relationships with each other more or whether, you know, we'll just sort of be dehumanized to that experience? Um, and it is a big topic, but I'd love to know what you think about a world where we have a lot of relationships with AI and technological beings. I think that's going to really be one of the biggest points of discussion um, in the next five years. Honestly, the discussion's really here now, as you were saying, but, you know, as more and more devices get connected, um, it's going to be really interested to see how we all interact with them. And I think already um, it's, it's nice that we've seen a couple of the AI devices um, really become standard in a lot of houses. You know, a lot of people talk or a lot of people have their Amazon Alexa and that's just a part of their everyday life that really takes away the time they needed to do maybe something else. And then they could use that time for the things that they value that are important to them. And I think that a lot of people, you know, already we spend so much time. um, We spend a lot of, a lot of our time working and a lot of people also 
um, spend a lot of time driving and commuting. So I think things like autonomous vehicles and artificial intelligence, they'll both give us time back that we could then spend with our families or our friends. And I think that's really mm. where society will go. And I think that, um, again, relating back to what I was talking about um, through my connected devices, my smartwatch and Uber, I um, they're already thinking of ways to save us time and thinking of ways like, hey, you could save the other drivers five minutes. And it just depends on everybody's personal interests yeah. of what then they use their extra time for. Yeah, I Definitely agree 100%. And I love the, you know, the, I'm a huge fan and huge believer in the optimistic outlook, particularly in what um, technology and innovation can bring. And it will be really interesting to see as it gets implemented more in our lives, um, how we use it as well as, you know, what the discussions around it um, transform into. Yeah, really interesting to watch that space. So thank you so much for joining me, Paige. I definitely feel like I learned a lot going through both you know, the the self-growth side of things around, you know, identifying your limits and, and what you're capable of and finding those opportunities um, to help you develop them. Uh, and then also the futuristic and optimistic side of technology um, that we touched on at the end. So I really appreciate having that discussion with you. And um, I hope everyone listening in got as much, if not more than uh, what I took away. Yeah, awesome. I loved the discussion we had today. Thank you. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening in. I do want to ask you to please leave a review for this podcast. Um, one, it really helps with being more visible on people's feeds and whatever podcasting apps they use so more people can benefit from the discussions we have. And also, let me know what you think, like whether the stuff that we talk about is actually helping you and if there's any other topics you want to hear about or any sort of people you want to hear from. Thanks for listening and hope you guys have a good week ahead.